Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome. This is episode number 155 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And uh, this is going to be kind of a cool show tonight. Maybe a little different than the past few. I'm Russ, your host, K5TUX. And with me is, uh, well, since episode 103 anyway, is Pete, VE2XPL. How are you doing, Pete? Good day, eh? I'm doing great, thanks. Well, good. Glad to hear it. And we also have across from me, Cheryl. Hello, everyone. Yay. It's Cheryl. Yay. That means there's a recipe corner tonight, so everybody stay tuned for that. Yay. There's always one. But... Well, there hasn't always been one. There is no, you know, an always one now. Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Don't sound so excited. Don't sound so depressed. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. I guess, uh, uh, whatever. Fine. <laughs> Fine, whatever. <laughs> and we also have a special guest with us uh, via some telephony method we don't really want to mention. But anyway, everyone knows we use Skype. That is what it is. Anyway, we have uh, Frank Howell, who is the uh, great nephew of Thurston Howell the uh, Third. <laughs> uh, that's what I've been told, but I can find no evidence that. Oh, so you're not rich yet? Uh, no. No, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> well, anyway, it's uh, Frank Kilo Four Fox Mike Hotel, which I assume those are your initials. So that's obviously a vanity call sign you've got they there. They are, like very much. So I was I was given KJ Four QJZ, and if you can say that fast three times, you know why I changed. I could say it once, probably. <laughs> Maybe twice if you're lucky. <laughs> All right, and he's going to sit in here for the first couple of segments and maybe interject uh, if he's so inclined, and then we'll talk to him at length in our uh, Linux in the Ham Shack segment, which should be really interesting because I'm looking forward to these topics that we're going to bring up. Uh, welcome, Frank, and thanks for uh, joining us tonight. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. This is one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to it every time it comes out. Thank you. Well, we're sorry. <laughs> well, maybe that will get Russ to getting them out more yeah i know i'm so far behind luckily i'm so far behind i can't die uh it's not too bad what what's not too bad the, i was checking the website you're not too far behind I'm, I'm only too behind and i i do plan on getting them out but i've been telling everybody i'm going to get them out and then i don't for the last two weeks yeah. well, you yeah. are yeah. going weeks, to yeah. if you're not i am going to it's okay yeah well, well russ you know here, here here's my uh support of you if time is nature's way of keeping everything from happening at once you're using an effective time management system. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good i'm gonna keep, i'm gonna keep that down i'm gonna use that as project management notes for work <laughs> All right. So anyway, we should probably move on with the program. And we're only going to have a couple of short stories here for the beginning so we can talk to Frank, which will be far more interesting than us reading the news. Uh, but I did get a, a notification on the Ubuntu hams mailing list not too long ago that says that the 3.0 version of Hamlib has been released. And this is very cool because Hamlib is the back end that powers interaction between computers and ham radios. It has for some time, so it's nice to see that development has actually brought us to the 3.0 release. Version 3.0, which was released on September 20th, which is actually only a week ago, so it's brand spanking new, uh, has features like uh, build system updates, new RIT and XIT activation and deactivation, 
Win Radio G313 updates. New modes. Read line editing. That's uh, kind of back end stuff. Fixes to EasyCom. Fixes to port handling, allowing uh, PTT and CAT on the same port. New models. Uh, P-Berry. What's a P-Berry? Who knows what a P-Berry is? SDR, I think. That's SDR? Okay, I didn't even heard of that. I'm going to have to look that one up. Uh, and they have also new support for the IC7100. And uh, lots and lots of other stuff. Lots of other new models as well. ICM710, M820, or sorry, M802, uh, ID5100. New rotor, the CNC track, also included among many, many other updates to the library. So that's very cool. So if you're using that, I'm not sure. There was there was some discussion in the in the chat uh, back and forth on the, in the group about whether or not this was actually packaged up in a PPA or in the Deb or Ubuntu repositories yet, and I have not seen any answers to that question. This may or may not be available through your package manager yet, but you can always go to SourceForge and download Hamlib and install it if you feel so inclined to do that. And the link to the SourceForge project page is really long and unwieldy, so it will be in the show notes. Now, the show notes are another topic we should probably bring up at some point, because I don't think Harrison is doing them. In fact, he hasn't done them since number 145, which means I have to do them or find somebody who will. Um, Cheryl? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think Cheryl's going. Cheryl volunteered to do it and was... You know, in, in a roundabout way, I was basically told I'm not going to be able to be included in the podcast until I grow facial hair. No, I didn't say that. I said you could, <laughs> I said you can't, you have to have facial hair and a hat in order to have your photo on the page. Well, okay. So, loose leaf tea and Vaseline. Okay. Yeah, so, That's well, why you need to make yourself a good. <laughs> I, I get things like that waxed off of my face. I'm not going to add stuff to it. I'm telling you, I want to get you, uh, you know, a prop costume, like an Amish prop costume. You would, I mean, that would be so funny if we put that on there. That's really politically nice. correct considering where you live. <laughs> That's really what? Politically correct considering where you where live. Where we live, yeah. Luckily, the Amish neighbor that lives next door has now recently moved. Oh, come Although on. Although we honey. still oh, have that, Amish that, neighbors. That, no, that's racist. It's not racist for crying out <laughs> loud. Luckily, he's moved. <laughs> Man, you guys, unbelievable. Well, we still have Amish neighbors. It's just not directly next door. The next one's two doors down now. <laughs> Oh, that's good. What would you rather do, like a Fu Manchu? No, I would prefer no facial hair. Thank you. <laughs> no, the idea is that it's humorous. Oh, you know, you I get see. That, which is, we yeah. can Photoshop it and send it to me. No, I can. No, I can do that. I just figured it would be easier to find, you know, a costume. I mean, I could, I could make her look like anything. I could, you know, make her look like Rasputin if I wanted to. I just, whatever. Although I don't think you wore hats. Actually, maybe we could do Peter the Great. And we digress. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just so. goes out the window. So if anybody has any input on this, feel free to leave. Yeah. You know, you add, wanna, add your input to Want to leave a suggestion of what the funniest hat beard conversation would be? That would be fine. <laughs> we'll probably make that happen. All right. Enough of that. Anyway, Ham Live 3.0 released. Download it from SourceForge. Link in the show notes. Uh, otherwise, it will eventually be in your repos soon. With that, Pete, hit it. <laughs> uh, end of the paper trail. Officially licensed applicant. Welcome to the age of 
paperless paperwork. Uh, so this is a follow-up to a story that we did a few episodes back. The FCC had uh, announced earlier this year that they would stop printing and mailing licensed documents as part of a plan to economize, economize sorry, and streamline. And uh, this is actually happening now, so we thought we'd let you know. Uh, you can still obtain a paper copy, but you have to make a... Uh, um, you have to ask for it. They won't do it automatically. And they actually created a link somewhere on their web page, which I haven't checked out, a uh, button called Obtain License Copy. So uh, it'll walk you uh, through uh, the ways to receive your official document from the FCC. I'm not sure if there's a fee or not. Uh, and they say you can also call them directly. Select Option 4 from the menu. But anyways, the source is from the ARRL, and uh, so don't expect a paper copy of your license anymore because you won't be getting one unless you ask for it. I think that's kind of a shame, but, you know, that's the way it seems to be going. You want to hear a stupid joke I just made up in my head? Sure. <laughs> why don't politicians want to remove the paper from paperwork? I don't know. Why? Because then it would just be work. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I like that. So, anyway, that that is kind of cool, though. I like I like electronic stuff, electronic filing and things like that. It is nice. Well, I mean, you can print your own copy. Right. So, you know, nothing. And right, if you need it now, for so. some reason. Right. Uh, so I don't see why not. I don't see any disadvantage unless you're, you know, somebody, there's a lot of, um, a lot of retired people who are getting into ham radio. Most of them are techie, but if you don't happen to be, you know, well, at least you can still call them and get a paper copy if you want one. Right. I like the idea of a paper copy. I got a, a paper copy when I was licensed. Of course, this was way back in 82. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, when they still had paper. Uh, <laughs> Way back when. Way back. <laughs> Way back in my day when we still had paper. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Signal So back. this is a story. It starts off. Now, here's a real case of a ham being on the air. And I was shocked when I read this. I was like... I was besides myself. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But the story basically goes, Pinky Pig was uh, set to head into near space at noon on Friday, September 25th, so this past Friday, from the National Hemp Fest at the Newark Showgrounds in the UK. So uh, this is a little pink pig that they were going to put in a balloon, a high-altitude balloon, put a headset on it, send it up flying and uh, basically they're going to scan uh, slow, do slow scan uh, digital video so that you could receive the images of the pig at home and I'm just like I'm shocked I'm like what the hell they're putting a pig and sending it to space then you're going to be like streaming pictures of a dead pig but I kind of omitted to read that it said the little pink pig figure <laughs> was being watched <laughs> Because I like pigs. I think they're cute. But um, I don't know. I thought the idea was cute. Uh, you know, ham radio, a little pig uh, up in a high-altitude balloon. They called it Pinky, and they were transmitting on uh, VHF, uh, so uh, also on RTTY. So um, then they finished the story by saying, hopefully Pinky won't end up hogging the airwaves. <laughs> With any luck, his signals won't be reduced to a squeal. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, just, the story was cute, and, right. uh, but I, I, I honestly thought it was a real pig. But. Way, way too many uh, journalistic liberties taken with yeah. the, the <laughs> pig, me <laughs> pig metaphors or whatever. There, so. But the idea is cute, and uh, I'm not sure uh, how that uh, worked out because there was no follow-up to the story because it was just this past weekend, And uh, but I'm, I'm sure it was uh, good fun. High-altitude balloons are fun. They are fun. Them. We've seen lots of videos from high-altitude balloons. It's really cool. Anyway, Dang. so our ham radio topics for the evening. Ta-da! And now Yay. we move on to our one open source topic for the evening. 
so we can move on and do other interesting things. Yeah. Okay. So since you found this one and I reworded the story, you can go ahead and read it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Microsoft has developed its own Linux distribution. This is where everybody can groan. Uh, Redmond's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Redmond's revealed that it built something called Azure Cloud Switch. Azure. Azure. Otherwise known as ACS. Come on, Pete. You're slow today. <laughs> Azure. Right, I was there you go. Okay. Right. <laughs> Thanks for busting me. Sorry. We bust you at least twice a week. <laughs> at least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise known as ACS. Describing it as a cross-platform modular operating system for data center networking built on Linux. And our foray into building our own software for running network devices like switches. It appears Richmond, or excuse me, Redmond, couldn't find software-defined networking, uh, otherwise known as DN, code to fit its uh, particular needs. And it says ACS focuses on future or feature development based on Microsoft priorities and allows that us which to... Which is making money. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and allows us to, to debug, fix, and test test software bugs much faster. It also allows us the flexibility to scale down the software and develop features that are required for our data center and our networking needs. Microsoft's post revealing ACS says a fair bit about its features, but doesn't explain the relationship between Microsoft and Linux. Microsoft's experience with SDN clearly includes Linux, not Windows, as the path to success. And, of course, that uh, that link is going to be in the show notes yeah i hate the way the the register does their friggin urls it's like it's like the entire uh oh. subject line of the, uh, yeah, of the, the story link, is yeah. the URL. entire article yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so question yes uh, are they taking so they're developing their own linux distribution linux is open source so are they developing their own linux distribution and closing it so that you can't see like the source code my understanding is that this is the software defined network solution so if they're actually using the linux kernel because of the fact that it's gpl if they do develop this they will have to release it as gpl now google does the same thing with android and they do eventually release the software but they're they at least in the past, have been a little bit, um, shall we say, less than forthcoming with their code. It's not that they don't release it, but they tend to hold on to it a bit to monetize it for a while. It's kind of like banks holding on to your money and monetizing it in other ways while you're not using it. Uh, They do the same thing. I don't know if Microsoft has that same plan, but assuming they're actually using GPL code, they will have to release it legally, but there is nothing about that in this particular story. Okay. I was just curious. It says they're using Linux, or they're developing a Linux distribution, which implies that they're actually using Linux code, not writing their own variant of Linux. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Well, they would, would obviously, they? because they are. No, no. Oh, you I mean, mean why, why would why they wouldn't they write their, write their own, own code? They, this is what they do. This is this is their reason for being. Let's just like it just seems kind of lazy, you know. Maybe they don't want to invest the resources in writing yet another operating system since they already have one that they do sort of maintain kind of like yeah it, sort of yeah kind of sometimes <laughs> when they're when they feel like it right exactly right yeah right. <laughs> azure <laughs> <laughs> all right moving right along oh come on what no digression we are not allowing digression tonight no Is that what not I'm tonight oh, yeah right 
we've digressed every single story so far. <laughs> uh, but anyway. yeah, poor Frank is sitting there quietly waiting. Yeah, hey, I'm surprised he hasn't jumped in so far. But. Just trying to maintain decorum, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's being the good example. Yeah, how foolish. That was it for our stories for tonight, uh, for the stories that we're reading poorly <laughs> for the evening. Well, with mine, I actually reread. I, re- I actually pre-read mine so that uh, you would do okay Mr. Criticism would be happy. Let's, uh, let's bring Frank into the conversation, K4FMH, that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Well, glad to be here, guys, and uh, <laughs> we can talk about whatever you'd like to. You gave me a little bio of yourself in, in the email that you sent me, and I read you, the about you on your website. And uh, rather than have me read all that fun information, why don't you just go ahead and tell us about you? And then we'll uh, then we'll talk about why you came to my attention in a little bit, although I think I kind of alluded to that in the last episode. So you can uh, let us know who you are, what you do, when you got into ham radio and all that kind of thing, your, you know, your general history. I'm uh, a late-in-life ham, I, to use a term. is that I've, I've been involved in ham radio by virtue of listening since I was eight years old. And I, w- I was sick one winter with something, the flu or whatever, and I listened to my grandmother's floor model uh, RCA uh, receiver that had the little winking green eye and listening to all these stations and particularly the old AM uh, 75 meter gang is what really captured my attention. But I grew up on a farm. I had no Elmer, did not have a whole lot of encouragement, had some discouragement in fact, and I just never uh, moved forward in uh, getting my ham license. Life moves on. You do things. Uh, was very involved in electronics. Was in commercial broadcasting earlier in my career. During college, I built the ubiquitous 10-watt FM station for the college I was an undergrad at and then transitioned into building a commercial AM station for three uh, local business owners. Then left to go to graduate school and that sort of thing. I got licensed at Georgia Tech in 2009 after I had become a college professor and taught at several institutions like Texas Christian University, uh, NC State in uh, Raleigh, Mississippi State, where I retired from. Then I went over to Atlanta to work at the Board of Regents, which is their college board office, and I was a senior policy analyst and uh, saw an ad for a, a boot camp at Georgia Tech and said, you know, I think I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So did that and got technician, then general, and have not yet gone up to extra. It's just a matter of stopping and uh, reviewing a bit and taking the exam, but I've been very busy. I got involved with American Radio Relay League when I was at the uh, over in Atlanta at the Atlanta Radio Club. I think they're one of the best uh, ham clubs in the country. Still a dues-paying member. I don't, don't get over as much as I'd like to. Uh, but I, I've been in ham just a short time, but I'm assistant director of the Delta division for American Radio Relay League, have been under two division directors. Don't know how much longer I'll do it. I'm kind of getting into some other things. I'm leading a project called the Magnolia Radio Intertie. I'd like to shoot the person that created the word intertie because it requires tremendous explanation uh, outside of amateur radio. Um, We're trying to to build a linked communication system, not just voice, but data and uh, IP services. And Russ, being in the IT uh, industry, you certainly understand that. But when we talk about that, I'll, I'll explain a little more of what that is. 
So currently serving as president of that nonprofit and working with a team here with the Mississippi Hospital Association as a partner in, the, in Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And we we just put on our first node uh, last week, and we'll have about four more that will be installed over the next week or 10 days. And that's our first segment, which will be the Interstate 20 corridor from Vicksburg to Meridian in Mississippi. And we're sort of taking the state as segments like that. And we're almost ready to start begging for money publicly. Uh, We have to get some paperwork done with our Secretary of State's uh, office to be a public charity. After I sort of retired and then went to work at the Board of Regents' office, after about three years, our house in Starkville had not sold. It was a fairly large house. Uh, my in-laws had we moved them down from Arkansas, and my father-in-law passed away suddenly of a heart attack. And my mother-in-law went into Alzheimer's, and so we were kind of coming back from Atlanta to Starkville, about a six-hour drive uh, every two weeks, and to keep the house ready for the market. And it was just killing me. So I finally just pulled the plug. We moved back to Starkville. Of course, then the house sold. Uh, our son had finished his degree in, in golf management. So he became a golf pro at the Country Club of Jackson here in Mississippi. My mother-in-law was in the Alzheimer's care unit. So we moved here and built a house on what's called the Barnett Reservoir. Somewhere in all that uh, melange of stuff, I was an adjunct professor at Emory and I'm, I'm still connected to Emory. But I became a book editor with Springer. And I edited a journal and a series of books on something called spatial demography. If you think of Google Maps and statistics, that's kind of sort of what, what that's about. And I still do that. So I spend about half time uh, being a book editor and a book author, just, just have the second of three books going into uh, press now. And so I, I do what's fun. I, I still continue my, my professoring, if you will, but I spend the other half of my time uh, volunteering for amateur radio and, and the church that, that we attend. I work in the kitchen on Wednesday nights, uh, cleaning trays and washing dishes and things like that just to serve our church. Ham radio is a big part of my life, and to the extent that I'm retired, I, my favorite saying is, I'm retired, not dead. There's a difference. And so I try to stay focused and, and do things to try to help clubs in terms of leadership development, get get things done, and, and things like that. So I've kind of meandered all through and tiptoed through the, the biographical tulips, I guess. So um, that's my background, and I'm sticking to it. Well, it doesn't sound like we can do anything to change it, so that that's all right. Some folks who listen to our show may be familiar with your voice because you were the U.S. correspondent for the ICQ podcast for a while, but it seems like you've given that up lately. Time, you know, I became editor at Springer. It, you know, there's some pretty, pretty specific deadlines, you know, for publication and things. And to write, uh, as you guys know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but to kind of prepare a script uh, to research it, uh, then to uh, execute it, to edit it, to upload it. And I really love the guys at ICQ Podcast. I, I think Martin and Colin have, have done a marvelous job. And we had a couple of things go, go on. You know, every two weeks is, you know, the fortnight, the British fortnight. It comes, as we say here in the South, right regular. And so I just couldn't keep up the pace, and I, I didn't want to miss uh, too often. So I sort of pulled back. What what they did then is they tried to do a little roundtable every couple of months. And crossed upon, the Internet connections just killed. You know, we would drop out. We'd do all kind of things. And so I encouraged uh, uh, Martin to kind of get 
get a new group of folks. So what he did, he got an American who is in Germany uh, and a couple of other people. And, and they're just some real characters if you listen to uh, Leslie Butterfield. Is, is just one of my favorite, favorite ham characters. He's just a riot. And I, I think they have a great podcast. I didn't want to hold it back. So I sort of faded faded off of that. Something that I didn't tell you, I've, I've kind of started uh, up at the Huntsville Ham Fest. I got drug into a live broadcast by Ted Randall through the commercial shortwave station near Nashville, WTWW, to a roundtable. My good friend Martin Jew, who wrote of MFJ Enterprises, who, who wrote over with me, sort of drug me uh, by the elbow to that. I, I was not uh, of such notoriety, you know, to be on that, but nevertheless, I was. And they got about 4,000 emails from listeners to that live roundtable that went on for several hours in the lobby of Ruth's Chris Steakhouse there at the Von Braun Center where the Huntsville Ham Fest is held. Since then, I've started co-hosting with Ted Randall a Tuesday night QSO Live, and I kind of sort of don't have to really prepare a script or anything since it's it's just a talk show about amateur radio, and we have guests. So, can, can uh, I interject? Is Ted Randall is still doing QSO? He's still doing that? Yes, but the Tuesday night live is simply a variant of that in which I'm a co-host, and we had a, um, our first guest was from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, a guy named Dale Winther, who was involved with the Hubble Telescope, um, who was involved just in a number of things. That podcast should be published. Uh, Ted uh, and Holly Mislin, his his spouse and co-conspirator and getting things done, are at the NAB convention in Atlanta right now, so they're running a little late in getting that podcast on their website. So I'm taking a little short-term spin at doing uh, a little bit of, I guess we call it commercial shortwave broadcasting, for lack of a better better term, uh, and, and we'll see where that goes. You know, if it's if it's fun and if I can do it, I'm, I'm willing to. The only reason I pulled out of the ICQ podcast was simply I just couldn't keep the pace on on their time schedule. Well, that's okay. We only record every other week too, and we can barely keep our own schedule. So I really understand that. I know the QSO show they they broadcast from Hamvention. I know they they wander by our booth every time we're there and say, "Hey, do you want to be on the show?" And then they never come back. So I should be taking that as a hint, I guess. No, should, I, I would not. I, I I would only take that as as lack of staffing, and if Ted didn't tell Holly that, or 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 any little glitch got in the way, they really do a lot with very little in terms of of manpower and staffing. Uh, so I I would not take offense at that at all. In fact, we'd probably like to have you guys on on that show sometime. I I really think you're the only game in town when it comes to Linux and amateur radio in terms of podcast and and uh, so uh, let me extend that invitation at some point in the future. I think you you guys would be great guests. Well, we that'd would love awesome. to be on. That would be that would be wonderful. And we try to be the only game in town when it comes to Linux and ham radio. I don't know that we have any peer in that department. Not yet, but soon everyone will want to be. There. Yeah, well, we've been doing this since two thousand. QSO is a great podcast. I've been listening to it. I haven't listened in in a number of months, but it's one of the first podcasts that I came across. And I mean, over the years, Ted Randall's interviewed 
everyone. I mean, it's just a fantastic, fantastic podcast. And, you know, I, I didn't realize there were, well, I guess I'm not surprised that they're understaffed and they do very, a lot with very little, but it's just so well done that it, it just seems like it's almost Hollywood-esque, you know, it's, it's really, it's that good of a quality of a show, I find. Well, you know, Ted has, just has that broadcaster's voice. That, and yeah, absolutely. That most people, you know, who are in that uh, genre would, would, uh, would die for. Uh, but you know, when you look at commercial um, shortwave broadcasting, you know they have owners out in um, Utah or Nevada—I forget which—but they're very distant owners. And so Ted and his family, including including his two sons, they literally run that station. Really? And, yeah. I mean, and it's it's. I've seen pictures. I will I will be in Nashville in March uh, for the uh, SEC men's basketball tournament that's something my wife and i attend with three couples who are good friends of ours from little rock we will be this will be our 28th consecutive year that we've kind of go to that tournament and you know kind of have a vacation thing so i'm going to dovetail that with a visit to wtww out in lebanon and you know it's the economics are tough they do mostly paid religious broadcasting because that's kind of the mission of the owners now they have started um, simulcasting the new latest greatest Art Bell talk show, and there's a reason they're doing that. One of the owners loves Art Bell, and as you well know, Art Bell is a long-term amateur radio operator. I didn't uh, realize he was religious, though. Uh, he's he's well, I, I think he's religious, but they don't count that as religious, you know, broadcasting. Uh, for okay. example, w- without digressing too much into that, one of their transmitters does a very clever thing when you think about if you're in China and you're caught with a Christian Bible, you know, a, a range of things, none of them positive could, could happen to you. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Uh, this is news to me, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a known thing. Um, and in some other parts of the world, in certain African countries, uh, even worse could happen to you. So if you have a shortwave receiver uh, like Texan, the Chinese company that manufactures portable shortwave radios is apparently, according to Bob Crane of C. Crane, they make 30,000 shortwave radios per day. So when you think about that in underdeveloped countries, shortwave radio is still the local newspaper or the national international newspaper because that's where a lot of people get get their their news and information particularly where the internet's not very developed or say in China where it can be censored and supre- certain you know uh, IP addresses and domains are or sequestered if you will and things like that but they can't really track what you've been listening to on on your shortwave radio uh, so you know that's kind of important. so they have one transmitter that reads the bible and that's all that transmitter does. That's all the programming on that. Have three transmitters, and they're about to add two more. It, when you start looking at that, it's uh, something's got to pay the bills, and and so they, you know, they have a sponsor in C Crane for uh, the Art Bell Show. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, I, I won't digress too much into that. But I'm I'm enjoying, I guess, getting back uh, in a kind of a light way. Uh, not a, a you know a, a regular commercial type job, but getting back into commercial broadcasting. I began my career at that at WXLX in Milledgeville, uh, small market station. Was news director there, and 
left and went to graduate school and became a college professor. But, you know, so it, it kind of harkens back to those days and it's just fun. So I'm, I'm enjoying doing it. If I can do it and if I can do a good job with Ted, uh, he seems to be very easy to work with. And we had a great first show according to, according to the feedback. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue, continue on that, that path. Well, that sounds really good. I know WTWW simulcasts uh, Tom Medlin's show as well. They did. They did? As past in tense. past tense. Oh, what yeah. happened there? Don't know. Just know it's past tense. Huh. Well, again, news to me. <laughs> well, I guess you're glad, I'm glad you're on the show because you're our current news. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> well, probably not, but... <laughs> Uh, I heard it here first. So. <laughs> That's what I said. You heard it here first. Oh, you heard Well, okay. I didn't know you were talking to me. I thought you were talking to the, sort of the royal you. But, well, uh, well, if you yeah, notice, you, you. I said that, that I'm on Tuesday nights, and that was the night that, that the WKUB roundtable. used to be on, right. Yeah. So, Well, I didn't notice that until you pointed it out, but thank you. Yeah. We'll get to the amateur radio TV amateur radio now tv thing later but you were talking about networking and uh shortwave listening in uh developing countries and stuff like that and one of the things that you're uh apparently heavily into is something that's really cool and and uh a good focus for this show which is uh ham radio networking i guess we can devote some time or hopefully you can devote some time to talking about uh what used to be called hsmm uh, and is now called uh, Broadband Hamnet, I believe. Sure, sure. I'll be happy to talk about that. Um, the high-speed multimedia mesh was kind of the initial name or nomenclature that a group of hams in a couple of places, but certainly around Austin, Texas. They were not the only group, but I guess Austin was sort of built out first, and, and I'll mention what that means. What that started off as is if, if most of us who deal with uh, local area networks in our in our home or our work or whatever the old blue and black Linksys uh, WRT fifty four series of of routers most of those now are at Goodwill or thrown out in the trash or oh yeah I need to get rid of that sometime you know that sort of thing is sort of relegated a group of hams figured out that the firmware which is the as you well know Russ the, but for those who don't is the instruction set that gets burned into a chip so that when a device powers up it has a memory that is here's what i'm supposed to do when i wake up so they realized that it was basically a, a version of linux that was being used for the instruction set in the wrt54g and at the same time, there was some memory there because at the time, programming was not terribly efficient. Remember the old Bill Gates a quote, 256K would be more memory than anyone would ever need? <laughs> well, he's the first um, person to uh, have shot his own uh, quote in the foot there, I, I think, because uh, Windows was, was the thing at the time. And I thought it was 640K actually was the... Was the actual well, probably, yeah, you're, you're probably correct. You're, yeah. you're probably correct. And, and the 256 was a brain a, a brain damage <laughs> chip or something. So, you know, and he was trying to, to help Intel sell those. So um, the point of that is was that there was some extra memory. But at the same time, it was under the a version of the um, open source license. I won't quote which one because I just don't remember. But so uh, Linksys had to fork over the code. And people called them on it, and they got the code. So, therefore, they kind of engineered that instruction set to tweak 
those Linksys routers so they'd operate in the ham band frequency that kind of overlaps with channels 1 through 6 of the 2.4 gigahertz industrial, scientific, and medical, sometimes just abbreviated ISM band. So if you get one of those big color charts and get your magnifying glass out and really look at those allocations from the FCC, you can see that we share some of that spectrum. Under Part 15, when we go down to to Walmart, Best Buy, whatever, and we buy something, we're buying it under Part 15, which has certain restrictions. You get interfered with, you're a problem. You interfere with someone else, you're a problem. But hams, on the other hand, are covered under Part 97, which means we actually have licenses and we actually have some priority in things. And it's, it's strange by virtue of public image, but there has been... Uh, I'll say lawsuit in the generic sense, not necessarily that lawyers were in court, but that legal action was taken. And the amateur won when a neighbor had a plasma TV that interfered with the next door uh, neighbor who was a licensed ham operator's reception because of the radio frequency interference that the plasma TV generated. You're under part 15 with the plasma TV. I'm under part 97. Shut it down, fix it, do something different. So it's important to realize that, that we share some of that bandwidth. So what these these folks in in Austin and a few other places did was to tweak the little Linksys router into being a little 2.4 gigahertz transceiver for data. So suddenly we had a couple of things going on. We had a little chatterbox there that would do just like Wi-Fi does in principle. It would announce itself. I think of Downton Abbey when, you know, the royalty is entering the room in computer terms, and so it will self-connect to any other broadband ham net node that it receives the signal, says, hey, I'm me, you're you, let's get together. So it's a topology that is the basis for which these things will connect, is that it's self-connecting. One goes down, the whole network doesn't go down as long as there's more than two. It's self-healing, it will reroute, and this is how the Internet works with transmission control protocol using internet protocol packets. So if you get a bunch of these things together, they'll all see one another. They'll automatically connect to one another, uh, and they will transmit information. So what? So you got that. What good does it do? Well, from pedestrian things like if you're at field day or you're in a contest and you've got a big group of people and you all want to use N1MM or N3J uh, GP or something like I forget the, that one, the, the call letters for that software. And you want to have your interactive logbook on a network, and so you don't work the same people over and over again. Uh, you could put that on Wi-Fi. Sometimes you get RF interference and you lose your connection. You can do it over Cat5 or possibly Cat6 where you got a hardwire, or you can do it over a mesh network because that mesh network operates a lot like a regular Wi-Fi network, except under Part 97, we can use more than the power that is regulated under Part 15. We can put a lot of power. Now, if your mission is to roast pigeons, you can run several watts into a high-gain dish antenna, and it will fry things because then you have a little small microwave oven. So you have to be careful about how much power you actually use for a broadband uh, hamnet uh network if if those who are interested will go to this website just uh, www.broadband 
hyphen hamnet.org or Google Broadband Hamnet. And you look on that, you'll see a map of Austin and you'll see these links that, that those folks have set up, many of them on top of hospitals. And you think, okay, so they are connected. So what? Well, the so what is everything that we use, and I'll use everything in quotes here, just, just as a Roger Maris asterisk, because I'm sure there's an exception. But for the most part, Everything that you do in a modern office place, from email to uh, voice over IP, which is what we're doing here with Skype, to video intelligence, to web servers, uh, and we can now talk about WinLink, where you're sending regular email, but once it gets to a transmitter, it goes out over RF and then gets uh, redeployed back as email on the other end. You've got this network where all the regular IP services are suddenly being broadcast over amateur radio. And that's really cool and very useful when it's hit the fan and the regular communication services are down. Uh, You know, uh, I live here in Mississippi. I'm a native of Georgia. But here in Mississippi, we're, we're, you know, still imprinted by the impact of Katrina in 1969. Camille had a similar impact. Uh, since then, a hospital in Louisville, spelled like Louisville, but Louisville, Mississippi, which is um, not too far from Mississippi State University in Starkville, hospital was virtually blown away by a tornado. Uh, they had patients in ICU, and they could not communicate with the lifeline helicopters to, to get them. Uh, so when you think about an impact of an area, people say, oh, well, don't count the Internet because the Internet's all gone. Well, I kind of ha- sort of hate to just say this, but, you know, if the Internet goes off everywhere, I don't think amateur radio is going to help much. It might. So th- that's not really what happens. What happens is there's an impact zone where that part of the infrastructure is down. And so with broadband hamnet, it can be relit with deploying these nodes of these whether it's Linksys or some others that I'll talk about in a second. You can relight that up and then get on the fringe and pipe con- commodity internet back into it. So you can connect the internet to one of the uh, more of these nodes, and while you're operating even on battery power with broadband ham net, you can then connect back you know, to, the, to the internet. In a nutshell and in a crude way, that's sort of what broadband ham net is. Now, there's a cousin to that that's called ham WAN. And a larger uh, subset of what is called AmperNet, and I don't recall what Amper stands for, but uh, you know, a Google search will tell you most of that. Seattle developed very strongly with HamWan, and if you go to HamWan.org, you'll look at a map there, and the Puget Sound is basically just lit up. And if you're an amateur. And you've got a boat out in Puget Sound, and you've got a node there. You still got internet connectivity. You've got amateur radio connectivity, and so forth. Got the mountains, put stuff on the mountains. You get line of sight at that's largely five gigahertz, and we have amateur frequencies there as well, as opposed to two point four gigahertz. Uh, and there's also some in the nine hundred megahertz uh, range. And I guess at some point we'll we'll be sporadically throughout up to ten gigahertz with our our equipment in um, in the ham band. The Memphis group is probably second to Seattle. They have built out Memphis already, 
and they've actually gotten over into northeast Arkansas, and they continue to build out. And it's it's, it's a really uh, sound reason because, as you guys know, it's pretty flat there near the river. So once you get across the Mississippi River from Memphis, then you're going over line of sight that carries a fur piece, as they would say, in, in uh, that part of, of the country. Uh, we will be working with them through the Magnolia Intertie to locate on top of a hospital in South Haven in Mississippi, which basically it's part of Memphis, and a, a hospital there that's a, a big hospital, and it's on I-55. And then we will try to bring that down I-55 that uh, maybe by 2017, we hope in 2016, we'll have Memphis connected to Jackson through towers and nodes that uh, will come down I-55. So what I generically call mesh networking is really built upon either broadband ham net uh, or uh, ham WAN. Now, there's an easy way to think about uh, ham WAN versus broadband ham net. Ham WAN is a, is a point-to-point structured, much more secure. In other words, this IP address is good. No others are, as opposed to broadband ham net, which is, hey, if you're there and, and, and you're one of us, then we're going to talk to you. Uh, ham WAN is best for point-to-point, long-term, we're going to put this here, we plan for it to be there forever, as opposed to broadband ham net, we're going to go in this particular area and set up camp, if you will, and deploy broadband ham net. It's more of an ad hoc type of network as opposed to a structured one. If you've got a, a Wi-Fi node in your home and, and you get authentication, whether it's through a password string or now we've got these little uh, devices that say, hey, I'm a good guy. Yep, you're a good guy. We're going to let good guys talk to one another with buttons on the router. That's one thing. But, you know, you can also set up I'm going to print to my printer, and I'm going to print directly, and I'm not going through anything else, and I'm not connected to anything else, and that's an ad hoc procedure. Well, the broadband ham net is a little bit like that ad hoc model, whereas ham WAN is more of a structured model. If you uh, and listeners are interested in go to magnolia-intertide.com, we have some slide decks uh, from the group in Memphis particularly Ryan Turner's talk at our uh, repeater workshop last January that sort of gives an explanation for that. So if I haven't just completely put everybody to sleep and, and that kind of thing, what's cool about this is that it allows us to communicate by using the right mode with the message. If you had a list of ball scores, and if you remember back in the day, on uh, AM radio, there used to be sportscasters that would simply read all of Major League Baseball scores, and nobody really cared until they got to their favorite team. Well, now it's a heck of a lot easier just to go on the Internet and look up, see how the Cubs did or, or, or whomever, the Braves or whoever your favorite team is. So imagine if you've got a list of patients in a hospital, to heck with HIPAA and you know that kind of thing. Reading names and numbers and blood types, uh, voice just isn't a good modality for that. And so what the mesh topology does is really allow us to communicate like we do in a modern office. 
and use voice for where voice is best. So I'm going to stop right there and kind of let you guys uh, respond and ask me questions and let me fill in gaps or, or amplify anything. It's gone beyond the Linksys hardware into a lot of uh, products made by Ubiquiti for broadband hamnet and Microtik for ham WAN. And here's the good news. It's cheap. You can put a ham WAN node up for about 200 bucks that will go perhaps 20 miles if you get good line of sight. And it's not strong power, uh, and it's fairly bulletproof, and it'll when the power goes out and it comes back on, it goes right back to where it was, and so on and so on. So I'm, I'm going to take a, a brief pause here and see if you guys are still awake. I'm still awake. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> nope, still awake. You mentioned the... the- Linksys WAPs and WAGs and and stuff like that, which a lot of these are built on. I have one of those that I picked up off of eBay, I think. I ran DDWRT on it, and there's also OpenWRT, which are alternative firmware, open firmwares um, for doing regular Wi-Fi networking. And I'm sure that the broadband hamnet works exactly the same way. Have you installed one of these? And, you know, is the, is the procedure for, for converting one of these over to broadband hamnet, I mean, fairly straightforward, like anybody can do it? If that person doing it can follow directions like Forrest Gump did in the movie, and you remember, and I won't quote for obvious reasons, but do you remember... When the sergeant said, "Why did you blankety blank blank do the uh, put your rifle back together so fast?" Because you said so, sergeant. If you can follow rules, step A, step B, step C, kind of like Forrest Gump did. Yes, it's pretty easy. What you have to be real careful about is that not every model of the Linksys WRT54 series is compatible, and and there's a good reason they cut the amount of memory because they got more efficient. That's the reason I made that point earlier. They got more efficient with their memory. So literally, the later models of the Linksys routers didn't have enough memory to handle the Broadband Hamnet firmware. So step one is to go to Broadband Hamnet's website and look under the which hardware to use on the resources button and look at the models. Don't quote me. I remember it's like models one through mm, four or something like that. Um, and, and again, please look at it. All of the WRT54GL, which was the first one compatible for Linux systems, uh, work. Now, Russ, I have, gosh, i probably done 25 of them. I'm, I'm going to guess, and I've, I've I've done that through teaching other people how to do it, and so it's kind of like train to trainer. And there's a, there's a group over east of Jackson in Morton, a little small country town uh, in Scott County. I, I got them going on that about three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And they led the state. They were the first team in Mississippi that was known about to deploy a mesh uh, network, and they – uh, used it at their day in the park and you know the ubiquitous race for charity and they would put out what are commonly called lollipops uh a little five gallon plastic paint bucket with a battery in it to kind of keep it from blowing away a piece of pvc coming up a, a weatherproof box from lowe's with the wrt uh router inside and then a little 
um, commercial antenna if you'll go get an old Cushcraft 2.4 gigahertz. I bought 25 of them for like $2.50 a piece in a bulk purchase on eBay, for example. You know, I was giving those, and I'd go around and give talks, and I, I gave a talk to the Scott County group, and they were a brand-new club, and they just said, hey, we're going to get into this. So they lit up their their uh, city park, and they had video cameras on some of these lollipops and stuff, so they then had a tent at, at uh, Command Central where they could show different locations on the, the race and have video. So if somebody fell down and scrape their knee, then they could get on their HTs with the local repeater and get someone out there. And then they could track. They had someone that would watch the camera and track the numbers. Okay, everybody's past point three. You know, and they kind of organize their thing. So the Scott County group, about maybe 15 to 20 people in the club total, developed a core of about six people that led Mississippi in developing a very active mesh team and so they've been asked to come set up their mesh stuff all over and and you know no one is a rf engineer in that group you know they're just kind of folks that fool with the normal wi-fi that 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 many people many people do so long-winded answer i am a former college professor i used to get paid by the word so you'll have to excuse me (laughs) and yes if you'll follow those rules meticulously and look carefully before you buy a specific model of Lexus router. I bought several on eBay where the seller just didn't know what they were doing and they misquoted the brand and I'd pay 20 bucks for it and okay, I just put it in my in my workbench area and said, "Hey, I got another slow router I can use for something that, you know, when it's necessary." So that's the key to it. Uh, if if I were starting fresh and did not have a Lexus router, I would I would look at the ubiquity because you can you can get into that for about fifty bucks or less depending upon your eBay and other uh, shopping abilities. And it's uh, ubiquity is a little more hardened. Uh, a lot of it is already waterproof and so on and so on. But yes, uh, certainly to get into it, I've got three nodes. Uh, in I have a workbench area off of my garage and. I have my little set of mesh boxes there. I'm building some lollipops for a club that I'm in and building a little, I don't know what you'd call it, but I went down to Wally World and bought a a real cheap rolling cooler. It's got the cups in the top, and the cups will be where I'll put PVC in and put antenna. And I've got some old Motorola GM300s, and I'll probably put a 70-centimeter repeater in there, an APRS box and a mesh node all in that one little rolling cooler. So when my club is doing races and, and, and deployments of one type or another, the Aries team, then they can just take that, set it up, and they, you know, they've got kind of a 70-centimeter repeater because the, the duplexers aren't very big and not very expensive like it is for two meters. And then we'll have APRS digipeter going out in areas that may not get good digipeter coverage and also have a, a mesh node. Now, one, one thing that's not really known is that you can hook a, a – a, and, and here's what I'm actually doing with those Lexus routers I bought that were kind of misadvertised. You can – hook them together that is you can plug you know an ethernet cable from the mesh node into the regular wi-fi node password protect it and then use your other internet device to connect to 
the mesh. And certainly you can receive information such as an APRS tracking map and so on. You know, we don't have to be licensed to receive. So there are some neat little things if you're, as I know you are, you know, skilled in, in that technology that you can build out from that, particularly if, if you're in a group. So it's really not hard to get started. And, and I've bricked a couple because I, I was watching TV while I was doing it and I didn't pay attention or something. And you can possibly recover them, but you know that they make attractive coasters too if you brick them. <laughs> so. When you were talking about this, I kind of was thinking about the the network itself and how that certain cities like Seattle and Austin have you know sort of built out this technology and created networks that cover large areas. Uh, and you're talking about like the the sort of internetwork communication between the devices uses the Part 97 license spectrum, you know, amongst themselves. That's part of it. That's the ham radio part of it. Is the idea of this then interacting with the unlicensed Part 15 of it? So you have all of these mesh networks that regular Wi-Fi clients can connect to, or is it strictly for ham radio communication, uh, digital communication across these nodes? Well, I, I would say that clearly it's it's for the ham radio folks. I was just throwing in parenthetically that where the regular part ninety uh, or regular part fifteen Wi-Fi node is in the mix, it's where you could simply display what we would commonly call received information. That is, if you had one of those nodes, uh, and you have display on a, a big screen TV or something. They're so cheap these days, you can kind of get those out in, into uh, the hinterlands in a portable setup, or these little Pico projectors. We've actually used those as well. And so you might have one of the regular Wi-Fi nodes that, that's kind of uh, connected or bridged into the hamnet node is simply displaying information from that ham radio network well it's okay because to receive we don't have to be licensed so that was, i was just kind of pointing that out but i think i think the goal is whatever you make it uh but i think most most of it is is really for for the hams and, and other people have tied in aprs into this and and uh, some other things there's a guy named jesse alexander up in maryland who has some really cool youtube videos about what he's done with putting up if you will a private web server private in the sense it's only available to the hams on the, a particular ham wet uh, or broadband ham net network uh, and you think about just tracking stuff in the emergency with even using WordPress, which is what, what Jesse is doing, the kind of information that if you're at all into to emergency communications of, of tracking things so it doesn't get lost in paper in these, you know, ARL uh, national traffic system forms that you guys were talking about paperwork early in the, the show – you know, that's just really a slick way of doing it. But, yeah, I, I really think it's focused on the hams uh, operating on the Part 97 for the most part. So what data do you, do you see as being the what passes these networks? I mean, is it for digit beating? Is it for APRS? Is it for just uh, straight? Uh, it, things like instant messaging, emails, connecting things like, as I mentioned, a server that might have logging software 
you you might have if you're uh, out de- my ham club I, I don't do as much of this just because of time but they go gaga for every race that, that comes along we have something called the natchez trace parkway which goes from natchez up to nashville beautiful beautiful area you know federally controlled and maintained and so it's great for these bike and and, and foot races terrible on coverage so I, our folks get get out to every race that you know that they can and so one of the reasons i'm kind of encouraging them to get into the the hamwind stuff is that the normal tracking of information whether it's a remote camera that you can remotely move and pan and and you know kind of do vi- remote video intel uh, you could also get sound if you want many of these cameras have a microphone so you can kind of monitor things before you you uh go on i wanted to kind of come back to what i was the question i was asking because i'm wondering like if you're if you're talking about like you have a node sitting in your house for example that's set up for broadband hamnet and it's connected to a bunch of other nodes say you're sitting in austin somewhere and you want to uh use that network to send an email say from your computer to another ham somewhere on the other side of austin connecting your pc for example to that network doesn't that use the unlicensed thing or or not well uh when you mean if you mean connecting it to the regular Wi-Fi, and if you bridge it into the broadband hamnet, because keep in mind, regular Wi-Fi cannot connect to broadband hamnet. It is locked out. So the only way you could connect those, Russ, would be to simply bridge, and I know you know what that is from a technical point of view, but many of the listeners may not. It's taking one router, running a cable into the other router, and setting them up so they talk to one another and share information. So, in other words, if you're on the Wi-Fi end, that's why I said you probably always would want a password to protect that to protect what you agreed to do when you got your ham license. That is the control point operator, and you, you wouldn't want to just have that wide open. Now, for convenience, if you did that in your Wi-Fi network and you had that bridge to your broadband hamnet node in your house and it was on a wide area you know, kind of a network, uh, I think the current thinking is that you would be very safe because we don't have explicit regulations on this because it's very new. In, in keeping up with the principle of the control operator and who can access it and where it goes, then most people sort of think that you're in, in good stead. So if you didn't have your regular Wi-Fi bridged into the broadband hamnet, you'd have to have a separate computer that was connected to the broadband hamnet. Because regular Wi-Fi, it'll it'll show something. You'll see a Wi-Fi node that says broadband hamnet, but it will not allow you to connect to it using just a regular Wi-Fi device. So maybe I didn't really uh, hit that point hard enough, but but I should have. Maybe I'm not understanding what you're saying, and and uh, if someone else is listening to this, not understanding too that this might be useful, and maybe it's not. But you bet for a regular like computer with a Wi-Fi card connected to a Part 15 as as like a regular consumer device. I mean, you're saying you wouldn't be able to connect to a Hamnet router. Correct. You will not be able to. Okay. So, what kind of devices would typically be connected to a Hamnet network then? Well, in other words, you you would connect that computer through an Ethernet cable to a ham WAN node, just like you would hardwire perhaps into your regular Part 15 router as opposed to going in through Wi-Fi. So you would have to be hardwired into that node with, say, a laptop or you know other kind, type of computer. 
All right. That that's I think where I was missing the point is that yeah. you can't you can't connect via Wi-Fi because those are two different parts of the FCC licensing spectrum, and you can't uh, you can't sort of intermingle them except for the having a bridge between the two right. and doing receive. I probably emphasized the bridging too much, and that created the confusion. So thank you for asking that question. But the bridging is something that you know if everybody's licensed and they're kind of there, the net control center, it's kind of convenient to be able to use your iPad or your your Android tablet or what have you you know, to connect in. It just cuts down on cabling and, and all that stuff. But yes, that's a kind of a special case. But the Joe Sixpack, if you will, couldn't just kind of meander by and say, huh, what's this? I'll click on it and wow, I'm into something called ham radio. No, that wouldn't happen. All right. Well, that actually clears it up for me. Hopefully it cleared up for everybody else. So um, I, you mentioned several municipalities that are that are exploring this and have uh, wide area deployments. Do you see it uh, proliferating around the country? And in spots, uh, and, and, and here's, here's why. Like, for example, one of the things I've found uh, is small towns vary greatly. Uh, between Jackson and Meridian, we have a couple of small towns. I mentioned Morton. Their mayor became a fanboy the first time he saw those remote cameras, just uh, ecstatic. He didn't know that much about amateur radio. Well, this is kind of fights that image of ham radio. Yeah, that's kind of your father's Buick, right? I mean, who does that anymore? Like my son is 36 years old and his his idea is, I got a cell phone, dad. I can talk to anybody in the world, you know, and I've kind of given him the standard arguments. Um, you know, being a father, sometimes I say, you know, I can buy Vincent a lot cheaper than then you're going out hunting it and shooting it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you like doing ham radio, you like doing ham radio. It's a process as opposed to the product. There's another town nearby, and it's um, Pelahatchee. Their mayor was the first mayor in Mississippi to have free public Wi-Fi in the downtown area. And it's just an old town that they've kind of rebuilt and kind of spruced up. And they, they, they took an old bank, and they made it a civic center and all this. Well, he got so impressed with, with what they were doing in Morton and with Amateur Radio, he invited the club that I'm in to be his guest for field day in their downtown park. Well, we wound up having five clubs. And that mayor now is very interested in getting his fire department licensed as technicians so they can begin to use Amateur Radio when they need to, but particularly with APRS. And he has simply said, send me a list of what I need to buy for ham wan the point-to-point stuff. We've got big, tall water towers, tanks, on either end of town and a tower at our fire department downtown, and we're building a safe room where kind of the community can, can get in a bunker, if you will, when there, it's, it's in a tornado area, a tornado-prone area. And he wants to have licensed TAMs in, involved with their emergency communications center at this community center and with the fire department. And he's going to buy all this stuff for us to deploy. You know, he's a little bit of an unusual mayor. He's extremely progressive. If you then went to, say, the city of Jackson or even one of the suburbs, eh, a big city like that wouldn't move that fast. They're kind of like a lumbering elephant, whereas a small town can change quickly and can adopt things quickly. So my prognostication, Russ, and the answer to your question is it will it will vary by having some local advocates who are willing to do the normal uh, work. As I've uh, told people, I've spent half my life crawling around under tables hooking up wires. I'm sure you have too. you got to have people that will do that work. 
You've got to have people who will advocate and who can explain the upside to it and why they should allow public resources, particularly, you know, getting up in high places where you can get uh, sites and things where you'll get line of sight. And then you got to have those people that will show up and do the job and, and make it work. And, and I'm not really saying that this stuff is only for MCOM. It's not. But clearly that, that kind of case is made very easily uh, with emergency communications. So I think it will vary by those factors where you get a little cluster of people that are, that are, are, are advocates and they're able to sell that and can get access and, and put it up. I would say the Atlanta Radio Club, it's it's a huge club. They've got, you know, 50 to 100 grand in the bank. They've got a repeater system that when I would drive an hour north of Atlanta, I'd get out of my car with an HT, and I could still key up the repeater in downtown Atlanta on the Bank of America because they had remote sites out on mountains like Sweat Mountain and Stone Mountain. Well, they're pretty slow adopting this. They don't really have that many advocates. So I, I don't think it's just money. I think it's the coalescence of uh, people like you've got in Memphis. You've got a big city, but you've got people that work at cell uh, companies and they're RF engineers by day. And so they kind of understand this and they can get access to the top of big buildings and things like that. And they begin to deploy it and suddenly they convince an internet provider in uh, a suburb of Memphis to come in as a partner and provide some pretty good bandwidth on internet connectivity, and suddenly they're linking their D-Star repeaters with it. It's got very little to do directly with, with MCOM. It's got to do with linking up their D-Star repeaters where they've got D-Star sites that don't have internet, and if you don't have internet on D-Star repeater, you're just talking you know, kind of to where the RF will go and not through the D-Star network. So long-winded answer, but I think that's probably the, the most accurate terrain of where it will become adopted. And you sort of present this as something where <clears throat> you really have to have a community effort to it. It's not really something you would put together like in your house between you and your neighbors or anything. It's really uh, geared towards and designed for a truly wide area network to sort of cover a municipality or, or a, a large group of people because it seems like it would take more of an effort to get it coordinated and get it put together and it would be better served if it, there were a lot of people uh, involved and it would cover an area that, that actually it could provide service to rather than just having uh, me and my next door guy talking together over ham radio. Well, I, I think you had a great point. And I think that point is, is extremely valid when you look at the, the Memphis, Seattle, Austin, and there's some others who, who are doing that. But keep in mind, the broadband ham net is also the best for an ad hoc deployment. We're going to go have uh, the Little League World uh, Series. Well, that's not a good one, but you, you get my point. The Babe Ruth World Series, and it's coming to a little town that, that's got the contract. And, boy, we're going to have all these parents and all these kids in here, and we don't have enough Barney Fife's of the world to do traffic control, and we don't have the money. Oh, we'll talk to the ham club. Maybe they can help us out because they communicate. You know, those are those are ideal, those small deployments for broadband ham net as opposed to ham WAN, which is the long again, best for those long term deployments like, like you're talking. So, you know, if, if you live near and near is relative, it uh, near is near is closer if you have high places to put <laughs> things on to get line of sight, I guess. But if you're in a cluster of hams where you're not too far away, uh, you can see the threes and fours and fives and sixes 
have these nodes set up. Uh, one thing I did mention is that all of the voice over IP stuff with Asterisk and you know a number of others, although Asterisk is probably the most popular, uh, there are a lot of folks that, that have these phones, and what they're facing now is they've got so many of them, they've got to create something that we used to call a phone book. We're going to have to create you know, area codes and nomenclatures to how to name these things as as they begin to connect. If you'll do it, if you're interested, and, and I'm speaking beyond you, uh, Russ and Pete and Cheryl, but to the listeners, if you're interested, go look and, and see what uh, Europe has done. Uh, Europe is like about the size of Texas or so, <laughs> Texas and Arizona, and you look at what they've done with AmperNet to Ham WAN, they've kind of got a lot of terrain covered so that's a good uh, if you want to call it business case for an area that's that's got some density for these nodes so i agree with your statement just don't forget the broadband ham net and kind of the smaller cluster and things like that now one little asterisk on the i believe it's the magnolia intertie website a uh, ham in the Scott County, Mississippi club, who's now the assistant um, SEC or the emergency coordinator for the state of Mississippi, Rez Johnson, K1REZ. He and I put together a paper about how to develop this statewide, and there's some ideas there. Uh, trading on some stuff I did as a sociologist some 25 years ago with uh, communication networks, but applying it to amateur radio and to this mesh technology, you can have little clumps of, of broadband hamnet users, but then if you have point-to-point communications over commodity internet, you can link up those little clusters. So while that scenario of a big city and lots of people and getting them out there made sense for the phone company back in the day, uh, you can have this kind of cluster development where you get the little groups connected as well. So it has few roadblocks in it that any normal amateur radio creativity can't solve and deal with. But the voice over IP telephone is, uh, it's probably the thing that sells the utility of it very quickly. Well, that's excellent. I, I also like the idea of the portable setup where you just take the little uh, five gallon bucket nodes and throw them up and have an instant wide area network where you can uh, connect and communicate. That's, that's a great deployment idea, I believe. One little thing that I haven't done yet, but I've certainly got it penciled up, is is um, to take one of those little rolling coolers because they're tough, they're lightweight, and did I mention they roll? <laughs> so you don't have to pick them up and tote them with heavy batteries. To buy a, as inexpensive as you can, probably $35 at Northern Tool or Harbor Freight, 12-volt winch, take the steel cable out, Use three thirty seconds Dacron line. Get a weather balloon. Get a little Party City bottle of helium, and with lipo batteries, run that sucker up about one hundred and fifty feet. I call that the mother node concept, to where you've got that up high, so it gets line of sight to all these local little five gallon buckets. Um, we've got a guy in our club who builds drones. He, the uh, one of the sheriff's departments bought two $8,000 uh, drones through Hobby Lobby, and he happened to be in there buying some LiPo batteries, and he realized that he was actually building that same drone for 1300 where they were paying eight grand for it. 
and and Steve has put some of the mesh node stuff up into the quadricopters and got them up in the air. What I'd like to do is to get if you've ever been to a sporting event where they've got these little uh, Chick-fil-A cows, or they've got the little fans on them, and they'll run them around and drop little coupons or things for free Chick-fil-A sandwiches, I'd like to get one of those, put a solar skirt over it, put a node up, and get it up in the air. And it would probably stay up and operate several days if you know the weather had settled down, say, after a tornado or, or, uh, or something. And that node could be up uh, beyond 150 feet with no FAA restrictions as long as you told them that it was in the area and filed that report. And so that node would get up there. It's a very small scale of what Google wanted to do was to float these balloons in near space around and give give Wi-Fi. Uh, that's something that I haven't done yet, but it's on the drawing board. This all sounds really very interesting to me, and I'm definitely looking forward to getting into checking out some of these projects in a little more depth. We've kind of covered a lot of ground in a 50,000-foot overview kind of way uh, without getting into too much of the technical details, which is probably good, although it's something we might want to talk about later and how people can actually dive in and get some hardware and get the firmwares installed and stuff like that. But I I love the overview. And uh, before we get too much further, I know Pete, probably has a question or two he might want to ask and i'm going to give him a a second or two to unmute before he wants to talk so one two all right pete what questions do you have i'm always always unmuted no you're not yes i am no you're not i don't know what do you do in your spare time (laughs) (laughs) well you you know pete that's a good question i'm as you probably i mean i'm 62 but i'm a fairly high energy person and uh, frankly uh, i'm a cancer survivor i had cancer uh, tongue cancer really uh in 2005 i've I've survived Uh, i was diagnosed with extreme the worst case the pulmonologist had ever seen sleep apnea she was shocked i had not had a stroke uh my blood oxygen was down in the 50 percent range and and uh, I, I know you're in IT, but near a hospital, I ask some of the, the medical folks what a 52% blood oxygen level is. They usually call that, yeah, well, that, was, that was the cadaver we coded yesterday. Um, and so I'm on a CPAP machine at, at night, but, hey, I'm, I'm like an old Lincoln with a new battery. So I'm just glad to be alive, and I spend my time doing things that are fun. And uh, like I said, I'm retired, not dead, and there's a difference. So, you know, it is fun. I waited a long time to get involved in amateur radio, so I, I do have some, some passion for it. Yeah. But but you guys have passion for it as well, so I'm, I'm in good company. Yeah, well, no, you got to have passion for something in life. I mean, that's for sure. And uh, you certainly uh, don't lack uh, energy or passion. We certainly get a sense of that when you're talking about uh, your projects. And uh, um I think that's cool, and uh, you know, good on you for uh, for being a survivor. Uh, that's a good thing too, and uh, we're happy you are. Yeah, I know I'm familiar with. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a medical photographer. I'm not on the IT side. Russ is the computer oh, okay. geek, and uh, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm well, more you, the ham radio about guy. So. A fair amount. So I, I just assumed you were kind of in the IT side, but go ahead. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with computers. They don't scare me. I get around. I can usually get them to do what I want. But Russ is definitely the expert. And I'm, I've been more involved, not more than Russ, but I'm, I'm more the ham radio side of, of uh, Linux and Ham Shack uh, than I am IT. So uh, Russ can certainly uh, talk circles around me when it comes to that. But uh, no, I, I do uh, medical photography and uh, a lot of multimedia. So um, I'm around a lot of the uh, technicians and the therapists. And I'm, I'm familiar with uh, 52% and what that means so uh, yeah that's uh, that's pretty impressive uh, very good I'm do in good company other things that you do aside from the techie stuff do you watch TV do you uh, take yeah, pictures sure. do you chase sure. squirrels I, 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 I don't chase squirrels now, if you watch uh, Amateur Logic my I do I, I haven't in a while but I love that show George Thomas lives about five miles from me and, and, and he, he's a good friend and he had squirrels that shoot into his cable coax for his cable modem. And so ask, uh, send, uh, send him an email, ask him, what is his current squirrel to wire ratio? That's great. I'm going to do that. I am going to do that for sure. So that, that'll be a good way to, I mean, I, I've, I've emailed them in the past, just, uh, congratulating them on the show. I've been watching, uh, amateur logic, uh, on and off pretty much since the very first episode. I think it's, it's really well done. Um, doing a podcast, I mean, I know how much time doing a podcast takes, and I've done a couple, I've been involved in a couple, and that's just audio. Throw a video in there, and, and you're just multiplying everything by 20, So, uh, and they do this regularly. George is a, George is a really good person, too, uh, but to come back, yeah, I watch TV. Uh, my wife and I both retired at about the same time, and we just enjoy spending time together. I have an office on the second floor of my home, and uh, I kind of do my my work there, but you know I, I have a ten second commute up and down the stairs. So we do things. We go to uh, sporting events together. We have a, that little thing. My our son is assistant golf coach at University of Alabama now, and we have a granddaughter. So we get over and do that. We love kids. We work in our church. We are on the perpetual babysit uh, babysitting uh, list of friends and others, and happy to do it. I, I think a, a small child is the most wonderful thing that God ever created. And if a small yeah, child doesn't warm your heart, then you know your heart's broken or something. It's not working. So, yeah, there's a lot of other things that um, that I enjoy doing, but I try to squeeze in, try to squeeze the ham Sherman as much as I can. <laughs> Do you, um, I mean, I work in a in a kids' hospital. On top of that, so I'm I've been a I've been a scout leader. Um, I've been a mentor. I'm 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 a I'm very I'm a huge fan of kids too. I I just you know my body's getting older, but my mind is is still uh, you know a teen or or, or a very small ute as it were. So uh, I think hey, that's really cool. Do you do you, any? You'll, um, you, you'll appreciate this very quickly. My my great nephew, who was who has been my brother, who passed away before he was born. Um, my brother's uh, first grand, or his, his only son's gra- uh, grandchild, or his only son's son, his only male grandchild, it would have been at the time. He was born with cancer, and it was just after I okay. was in, in treatment for for cancer, and he had only he had a congenital fibrosarcoma. He was there was only four hundred on record in the world. They had no protocol to treat it, and so Children's Hospital at at Eggleston in Emory Hospital in Atlanta, they put all these names together. Uh, they cut out his tumor at day two of life. Two weeks of life, he started chemo. 
Uh, he has scoliosis, has a rod in his back. But if I showed you pictures of Liam, L-I-A-M, uh, or video of him playing baseball or soccer, you would he'd be the last kid you'd ever pick out that would be like that. So he is cured, and he volunteered himself to be tested every year so they could figure out the long-term effects of the type of, of uh, chemo protocol that uh, he underwent because – He's helping kind of as a patient to define that protocol. So uh, we, we had a lot of, of trying times uh, during that. So children's hospitals are very special places to me. So so I, I'll use your phrase, good on you too, for what you do there. Well, I mean, kids, you know, as, as everybody agrees, kids should never be sick. But that's just the reality of, of life, I guess. So, um, you know, you touched on a good point. No, no two patients are alike. Uh, whether they have, uh, you know, cancer or scoliosis or a cold, no two people react the same. Uh, no two sicknesses are the same. And uh, all the specialists uh, that I work with anyways, uh, you know, their hearts are in the right place. And it's, it's a vocation. It's not a job. Uh, they go way, way over and above what they're supposed to do most of the time, uh, especially in a kid's hospital. It kind of becomes, you know, it becomes personal even if you don't want it to be. It's a great place. You know, we don't make bombs. We, we save kids. Uh, yeah. So it's it's good for the soul too. I mean, you know, so you it's it's, a, it's good karma, well, I figure. Well, that that's my pitch, and it it may sound corny to some people, and and some people may not get it. But I feel like God uh, kept me here for a reason. I discovered the joy of doing things for other people, and I feel selfish because when you really begin to appreciate doing things for someone else as opposed to having things done for you, uh, then it feeds on itself. So most of my life is devoted to, to doing things for other people where I can. More people should think that way. And I think that's something you learn, uh, you know, in time, don't want to say it, but as, as you get older, that's something you, you learn and you appreciate. And, you know, you don't do it uh, to get something in your turn. You just do it because it uh, feels better to give than to receive. You know, the the old adage is it's, it's true. Go figure. Uh, who would have thought? You bet. Well, it's a, <clears throat> I have to say that's a remarkable story. But the whole thing I got out of that was the boy's name was Liam. And all I could hear in my head was, I have a particular set of skills, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I will get you. That's right. Die. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> now that took all the air the out of the room, I think, Pete. <laughs> yeah. There you go. We, we have a friend whose son is Liam also. Very popular name, I think, once... Uh, the uh, the actor Liam became a popular type person. So, well, in in this case, it was his father's name is William, and my brother's name was William, but they didn't want to make him William the Fourth, and so Liam being Gaelic for William was why they chose that. Just FYI. You know, I haven't really done a whole lot of talking, but I feel tired. <laughs> I, I believe we've had m much information tonight, more more than we usually give out. I think. Uh, I appreciate that, and I, you know, I just kind of enjoy what I do and being a professional teacher for some almost forty years. I guess you know, I enjoy if I feel like I can share that, I will. But you know, apparently, you guys need to read your news scripts better. Yes, we we do, and I I did want to touch on that briefly before we let you go. I'm, I was I really enjoyed the blog post about about that, and that you and I'm really glad that you let me know about it because I don't think I would have uh, realized otherwise because I I don't get a chance to watch Gary's show 
I don't get a chance to watch any shows really. Um, and I, and I barely, as you can tell, get a chance to listen to my own. So what was the, what was the sort of impetus behind that whole thing? Well, where this came from, just for the the edification of of your listeners, is I I watch them all. Being a book editor, you know, I stream a lot of things to my desktop while I'm my mind's on something else. I I listen or watch almost all of the the ham radio podcast, and and then some on other things too. And I really enjoy amateur radio now. I think Gary Pierce has some great content. I uh, I learn a lot, and I've you know gotten a lot out of that, as I have a number of others. There was a podcast, and it happened to be at the end of his show dealing with the uh, Amateur Radio Parity Act, which I listened because I was the one who got Senator Roger Wicker in Mississippi to submit the Senate version of that bill, uh, and so I, I kind of perked up. And at the end of that cast. He did what he has been wont to do, and that's offer advice to other podcasts. You know, he, he um, apparently worked in advertising in Chicago at one point in time, and he was on the uh, Ham Nation podcast as uh, as one of their anchors for a little while. Since he then suddenly was not on it, he's always kind of mentioning something about them and, uh, you know, little comments here and there and and. You know, we all do things like that. I, I, I'll raise my hand as being guilty of that. None of us are perfect. But when you kind of continue on and on and on, on, there's a clear pattern. And in this particular video podcast, he, he pointed out Linux and the ham shack. And, you know, on the one hand, Gary will often make fun of those people who act like they're professional radio announcers. And, you know, that should not be what, what ham radio podcast should be about. It should be. More just like a regular common conversation over a cup of coffee. Okay, so you kind of, let's don't be professional sounding. But then he comes in on Linux and the Ham Shack for, let me just have a fireside chat and, and, and give you young pups some suggestions. And obviously I'm being a little bit facetious here, but but uh, you guys need to read your news stories and, and don't get those words wrong and and be professional. Okay. On the one hand, you shouldn't sound professional, but on the other hand, you should be professional. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you know, my sensibilities and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think when Richard was, was your partner on the, on the cast, it was, it was clearly a strong kind of comedy theme. You guys had a lot of fun. Well, you know, that tracks listeners. If, if you think about why do we read the mail and, and listen a lot on amateur radio, it's because we're sitting there in that conversation. We're just not talking. And so particularly back in, in the period of time where, where it was you, you and Richard, you know, comedy was, was part of it. Now, one person's cup of tea may not really want that much comedy. The other one may may want less, or, or want more. You know, and so it varies. And what you've what you've done over time is you've and I've I've emailed you this I think in the past. If I haven't, I apologize. I meant to. I really like when you guys went to the segment at Amateur Radio Linux because that made sure that you got you know one part lemon, one part sugar in the tea, and it was that way. You know. And that's what you do. And personally, I really like that. And so when Gary did that, it just sort of he made fun. Of, he had he had George and Tommy on his show over at Huntsville, and 
I really felt like was kind of down the nose at them. You, you Bubba's, you hillbillies from, or, or there's a little bit of that. Uh, he really brags on Leo Laporte. Leo's built a very successful, uh, television and audio communications empire. I'm sure he makes, yeah, you can, you can rag on Leo, but I mean, his paycheck speaks for itself. So, well, I'm and sure he's Leo got, he's got a syndicated show, <laughs> the tech guy. I mean, you oh, know, exactly. I mean, it, it, he kind of covers it, it all. And he started out back in the days with, I forget that TV show, uh, that he had used to watch it a bit. And, and so I, I guess my point of it is, look, Gary, who died and made you king? <laughs> Many of us have kind of been in broadcasting, and uh, okay, fine. Uh, why aren't you still in Chicago doing advertising? I, I'm just I'm saying, you know, you can have a certain decorum by which you make suggestions to people. And I guess to me, if he was getting his, uh, you know, you guys were on his last nerve, so to speak, because you may have uh, pronounced the word in a way he wouldn't have pronounced it or whatever, just pop you an email. And just say, hey, you know, here's some things I've done to do, but but why go public on it? And why why do that kind of thing? And again, having said that, I don't want to start a range war with with and, with and him and, and whatever. <laughs> but it's kind of like, okay, you were on Ham Nation, now you're not. Me think that does protest too much. <laughs> and, well, you know, just you got a good product, just keep doing it. You, you're doing a good job. He guys knows being out of joint because the Huntsville Ham Fest wouldn't. Now he said this on this is. I'm not saying anything of interpretation. He said this. They wouldn't let him uh, record their forums. Well, Tapper does. Well, gee. Well, you know, not everybody wants their forum presentation recorded. Uh, the people who run the Huntsville Ham Fest, they got people like Bob Heil, who's on Ham Nation, Bob Sherwood, who does his own thing, and so on and so on. And they just kind of might sort of not want that recorded. And so he had a little little pitch there, uh, uh, you know, against them. But what you have to think about it with the Huntsville Ham Fest is that they had their their homeboys, Gigaparts, had their own TV stage and their own TV broadcast live from Huntsville. They told Ted Randall he could set up in his rented table, but he couldn't have speakers uh, broadcasting WTWW. So that's why Ted Randall set up his live show out in the uh, foyer of Roos Chris Steakhouse. He even had the manager, the general manager of Roos Chris, come out and do a welcome. And the people at CQ Magazine plied us with uh, drinks and steak on a, steak kebabs and all that good stuff. Thanks, Charlie. That was great. You know, and that kind of thing. So they were kind of an equal offender, but it's because it's their ham fest. And when you kind of don't, rent a table and you come in at last minute and you expect the red carpet to be rolled out for you don't get upset when it's not i'll tell you what i'm going to look up chris the next time i'm in huntsville and i go to the roots chris because he sounds like the guy well he he's a, he's, <laughs> he's i mean you know he's just a, he's very magnanimous he didn't know what the heck was happening uh to be honest and i i kind of took the lead and explained it to him and there's a little connection with the owner uh there and i mentioned that and i just said you know hey we'd like to give you some PR and do all this stuff, international shortwave broadcast, a bunch of countries and all that stuff. And he was, hey, that's great PR, right? I mean, people that come to Huntsville, and they do because it's Rocket City. You know, hey, they at the Von Braun Center, they're, they're, they're the signature restaurant. So anyway, he was a very nice guy about it. I'm sure we were very disruptive of his normal operation. But uh, having said that, you can probably tell from my presentation, live and let live and, you know, be constructive and 
do things to help each other out. And if you if you're going to compete, compete. Uh, you know, no hit and blow the belt and all that good stuff, and just kind of do your stuff well. But again, I don't know that we've got a king of the ham radio podcasters out there to to set us straight. Uh, and you know, hey, I'm I'm not very very good myself and in my segments on icq podcast were were uh recollecting days of of yore when i was actually in commercial broadcasting uh so this is for fun and you guys have fun and fun attracts and there's nothing wrong with that well we try to have fun that's kind of the point of the whole thing if it wasn't fun we wouldn't really want to do it you bet Make everybody happy either. That's the thing, right? There's always going to be somebody. It doesn't matter what you do, podcasting or whatever you do in your life, um, especially if it's somewhat public. You're always going to, you know, bend somebody out of shape somehow for some reason. People like to you're complain. Correct. People like to. So you just do what you like to do. Like me and Russ do it because we like it. Um, you know, same thing uh, back in the day when it started. The guys had fun and, and that attracted. And, you know, there'll always be criticism, and, and that's okay. I mean, I welcome criticism. I think it's great. I never well, take see, it personally. For, so, for example, uh, Russ takes I really it. like Cheryl's R- recipes. I think that adds a unique <laughs> thing. You're not the only one to say that. There have been lots and lots of people who say they love Cheryl's recipes, and every time I tell her, you know, you've got to do a recipe for the show, she's like, no one listens to that. And I'm like, you, the hell you say, because everyone listens to that. I mean, that's why half of the people who listen to the show listen to the show anymore, I think. Listen, oh, you, you, sure. you, you know the the second or first, and you can pick which one. Religion in the South is college football. <laughs> there, there was a syndicated uh, a sports talk show that was on. It's now defunct, and people have gone elsewhere. And there was a guy down at the Panhandle of Florida who was kind of the good old boy of the show. He ended that show with what he was going to have for dinner. And I don't think, I mean, the guy would have been as big as a house if he actually had this every night, but he would have this little kind of menu. It was not a recipe, but a menu, cathead biscuits, you know, all that kind of good. And people would just like salivate listening to this. And, and, you know, it's kind of like Cheryl talked about when I said, what's for dinner in the pre-show discussion and see that that's, that's unique. That's called character. That's, you know, and that kind of thing. And that's as professional as anything you see on your local evening news when they go to the weather and they joke about sports and all that. That's the way they do it, and they're paid to do it. So what's wrong with you guys doing it for fun? Well, I do I do want to make one adjustment to something you said earlier. You, you commented on the fact that uh, back when Richard was my co-host, and I want to say that Richard was actually the brainchild of this whole show. He was the one who had to depart, and I took it over from him. But right, uh, right. Yeah, well, by saying co-host, I, did, I meant that equally. I didn't necessarily mean that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to give him the uh, the due that he's deserved because he was the brainchild of this whole thing. And even though I'm doing it now and and have sort of taken over, uh, Richard was definitely uh, the brains behind the operation, if you will. Well, I, I have his stuff when he puts them out in Banshee. It's one of those that's automatically downloaded. So I, I listen to him when he has time to do them today. So I think highly of Richard. And he clearly has a lot of passion for amateur radio. Yeah, he does. We wish he'd get his personal life straightened out so he can actually come back and broadcast a little bit because he hasn't done it since, uh, I think, uh, April of last year, I think, was the last time he put anything out. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I hope he does. I hope he does, too. 
and we probably need to wrap this thing up. We've gotten so long, I'm going to be editing my life away for the next week. <laughs> and I'm already two episodes behind. We did address this, um, the, your comments, uh, and your blog post and, uh, what we thought of, uh, Gary and amateur radio now. And, and, uh, in our last episode, which you are not aware of because, uh, it hasn't been put out yet. So, <laughs> Well, that, that's at K4FMH.com, and it's uh, it's no media passes at the Huntsville Ham Fest. Sacre bleu! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a good time talking about it last episode, and uh, when all of these come out this week, uh, everyone will sort of be filled in on the whole story. So, But yeah. again, we wanted to talk, uh, let me mention the links uh, that we talked about earlier, broadband-hamnet.org is a big right. one, hamwan.org. Correct. And the magnolia-intertie.com Correct. would be the big ones. So that's good. Well, thank you for all the information the, and uh, for coming on tonight. This has been a lot of fun. And the best part of it for me is uh, you did all the talking. <laughs> well, listen, uh, as my wife will tell you, that's something I do. My argument is my cancer surgeon who took a third of my tongue away and rebuilt it with a muscle from my left wrist said that the tongue is like any other muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So I have a prescription from a doctor to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's excellent. You're, You're using it quite well. All right, Pete, do you have anything else to add before we move on? No, I think this is uh, this is awesome. Thanks for being here, uh, and uh, let's do it again. I think that would hey, be glad cool. to do it. Thanks, guys, and look, big fan of your show. Listen to everyone. Thank you. Well, we really appreciate that, and we really appreciate you coming on and talking about the high speed multimedia networks and stuff like that. It was very, very informative and very entertaining, and I hope we uh, can get you to come back in a future episode. We'll do it, and I'll get with Ted, and we will send you an invitation by email to join us in a future QSO live on Tuesday evenings. That sounds great. We are looking forward to it. Take care. All right, thanks. Yeah, stick around. There's like still more show to go. God, how long is this one going to be? Uh, they're creeping up again. Anyway, let's do some music. I have no idea how good this song is going to be. Oh, you we found music, did you? I, I did. We listened, we listened to 30 seconds of it in the pre-show, and we're just going to go ahead and go with it. Uh, this is from a group we have played a couple of times before called Heffervescent. They're out of the UK. They do actually have some really good music, and I believe it's actually, I say they, I believe Heffervescent is actually one guy, just like uh, Brad Sucks and uh, Full Body Shop and all that. It's just one guy with a synthesizer and, uh, you know, uh, Pro Tools. Doing his uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, but anyway, this is one that I uh, found on cchits.net. It's called uh, it's called Dollface. That's what it's called. It's called Dollface. Off the album of the same name. It's actually an EP. Uh, came out August 13th of this year. That's right. Super, super new. So anyway, let's uh, roll this one and see how we like it. Uh, Dollface by Heffervescent.
actually the wrong song <laughs> this is actually dollface right here <laughs> thank god yeah because we were talking about the whole dot 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 yeah okay well we're not going to do another week. so yeah next week well, that that last one was actually called uh what the hell was it called actually <laughs> it was called messing with the envelope so there you go okay but they they were both by heffervescent and yes i looked it up just to refresh my memory while the song was playing and it is one guy it's andy doran from the uk who who writes uh, produces and sings and does all the instruments on all the tracks for heffervescent so huh? Uh, in the age of digital music, that's how it is. You can have an entire group that's just one person. Or you could be like, um, what is it? Who who did Feel Good Incorporated? 
Oh, uh, gorillas. Yeah, gorillas. gorillas, which is not a group at all. They're actually a virtual group. So, <laughs> yeah, gorillas is awesome, and I think the concept was really good. You know, the lead singer is the guy from Blur, right? Yes. Uh, what the hell is the guy's from Blur's name? I can't remember. He was on. <laughs> his name escapes me right his now. His name escapes me too. He was. Uh, I know he was on uh, Top Gear because I love that show. I know uh, you're looking it up. He was on. I'm looking Gear? it up. Get out. Huh? He was on Top Gear. Yes. Uh, Damon Albarn. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, no. I'm, was that? I don't think that was the guy. Who else is in Blur? Damon Albarn, Graham Coxon, Alex James, and David Roundtree. Well, it was a guy from Blur. Maybe, uh, I guess it was him. Okay. I thought it was. It's the lead singer. Let's see. Blur, blah, blah. Damon Albin, who was in the Gorillas, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Queen. And Alex right. James yeah. appeared on Top Gear in oh, 2012. Was, okay, it was Alex James then. Sorry. It was someone from Blur. It wasn't Damon Albarn. <laughs> okay. A guy. Yeah, it, it was a guy. <laughs> All right. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> So we played the wrong song, but it was actually a pretty good song. I actually liked it. Um, Dollface was probably better, but maybe next time. Anyway, I've got one bit of feedback that we probably need to get to, and this one is from James Blocker, Kilo Golf 5, India Oscar Romeo, KG5IOR. Uh, and he says, Russ, I am a longtime system admin who has recently gotten into ham radio and discovered your podcast. Well, thanks for tuning in, James. Glad you found us. In fact, I was listening to my first episode today, number 145, last episode with show notes, uh, when you start talking about the subject that I've got a little bit of experience with. There is an open source project that will decode the automatic picture transmissions, APT, to images called aptdeck, which is at aptdeck, A-P-T-D-E-C, dot sourceforge.net. In all honesty, it it does lack many of the features that WX to IMG has, but it is very useful for people who like working on the CLI. And this is in reference to something from way back then that I was ranting about, uh, WeFax. Something else you might be interested in is a project on GitHub called Doppler. That's at github.com stroke cube hub slash Doppler. This project will take the IQ streams from an RTLSDR dongle and use the TLE two line element data that can be obtained from Celeste Track. And I'm, uh, again, link in the show notes www.space track.org and shift the frequency of the IQ stream to adjust for the Doppler. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to laugh, but it's supposed to be Doppler shift, but he left out the F. <laughs> okay. Well, you know. <laughs> or, or maybe he didn't. <laughs> I don't know. That happens when the satellite passes overhead. <laughs> uh, that gives the Doppler effect a whole new identity. <laughs> uh, two other software projects that you might be interested in that are very closely related are GPredict. Uh, GPredict, we talk about on the show all the time. GPredict will download the TLE data and show a map and tell you the next time a satellite will be in range. Uh, the other software project is libpregpredict. It is created by the same guy who wrote Doppler and is just a C++ library for taking TLE data and calculating the next time satellites will be in range. Anyway, I'm not sure how a simple email that was only supposed to be about AppDeck and it being open source had gotten to be this long. But if you have any questions about any of the software packages I've mentioned, let me know and I'll do my best to help answer them. 
Thanks, James Blocker, Kilo Golf 5, India Oscar Romeo. Thanks, James. I'm glad you found the show, and I'm glad you had the time to tune in, and we really love the feedback. We have talked about G-Predict on the show quite a bit. I've mentioned space-track.org and other satellite tracking information, uh, places where you can get TLE data and stuff like that. I don't believe we have talked about AppDeck before, so that's very cool. People are interested in WeFax and other satellite information. You can definitely check that out. And links to all the projects that you have listed in your email will be in the show notes. So thanks again for sending us feedback. We really appreciate it. And uh, that, again, is the only piece of feedback I have for this fortnight. So we're on to the best segment of the night, segment five, Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Yay. Yay. Maybe Yay. next week. Well, no, actually, I take that back. Maybe the next time you get a you know an episode released, people will do feedback regarding my picture. Well, the they, they probably will as soon as I decide to get edit the episode. Yeah, that. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Stop, <laughs> stop complaining at me for crying out loud. I only have so much time. All right, tell us more. Tell us about our recipe for this week. Our recipe this week is because right now in Missouri, we are inundated with apples. So this week we're going to do apple cake. It's got eggs, sugar, flour, baking powder, some nuts. If you want to throw those in there, no comments from anybody. No, I was going to make a comment, but are you going to cut me off? I was going to say this 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 program right here is full of sugar, flour, powder, and nuts. I mean, that's what we're made of. I'm the sugar, you're the nuts. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> I have the nuts. Um, right. <laughs> right. Azure. <laughs> <laughs> Raisins, vanilla, oil, cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg. And for the apples, you can either use a canned apple pie filling or you can use fresh apples. Oh. Yes. Never yes. Use canned no, no. So, you know, canned fruit is not that bad. There's something to be said for canned fruit. We actually had frozen oh. corn on the cob tonight, and I actually thought it was pretty good. Yes, you could tell it it didn't come straight off the cob to your kitchen plate, but you know, overall, well, it did not come bad. Straight off the cob. Corn is come. one of those things that actually is pretty good, especially frozen. I find you can't tell the difference. I use a lot of frozen veggies. Just yeah. You know, so I don't have to go grocery shopping every three days. So anyway, um, so you'll have a nice recipe for a nice apple cake. So Yes, and we will get the show nuts done, I promise. Eventually. The show nuts. The show nuts will be done. The show nuts will be done. <laughs> That's okay. right. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a queen song. I don't know. Everyone so. wants to see the nuts. Everyone. <laughs> everybody, everybody. Don't everybody laugh at once. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Ow. <laughs> All right, you're making me do it. I'm the king. I'm the king of bitch. I'm the. I'm the. I'm the king of bitch. Ah, nice. <laughs> All right. All so. right, kids. Anyway, so that's it for that. Try out the apple cake. We will have that information in the show notes. Eventually. We we promise. Yes, it will be there. All right, so let's move on to the social media roundup. All righty then. Okay, so this time for donations and subscriptions, we have Michael Swanson, Steve Conklin, and Harrison Kyle. And for new folks Yay. joining us is Ronald Nestler and J.R. Blocker. Ooh, yes, thank you. Thank you one and all. On Facebook, we have Chuck Berger, Al Williams, which is Whiskey Delta 5 Golf 
Um, November. November. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Romeo. <laughs> wow, very good on the phonetics. Uh, I'm learning slowly. So, Ronald Hemingway, Tim Gord, uh, Mitesh Ironman, and Jay McDonald. On Google Plus, we have the Recon Prepper and Tabitha Fallon. The Recon Prepper. I love that. We have a prepper listening to us. Ooh. <laughs> Are well watching Google Plus anyway. Oh, at so. least, yeah. Um, on Twitter, we have Tom Medlin, which is at Whiskey Five Kilo Uniform Bravo. Woo! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we have Whiskey Alpha Seven November Whiskey Papa and EHP Digital Linux. Nobody joined us on YouTube. Sorry. Nobody joined us on the mailing list. Nobody bought anything. <laughs> Was that a like? Was that a clearing the throat like she got through it, or what? <laughs> no, no, I, I just was clearing my throat because I have a frog in my throat, and I usually am muted. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Go figure. It's like you're never muted when you want to be, and you're always. That's the way it goes. All right, well, that's it. We are done with the show. I want to thank Frank once again, Frank Howell, uh, the great nephew of Thurston Howell the Third, for being on the show. Uh, he did not confirm that, by the way, but... Well, he said that's... That, he, that's he said there was the no tale, evidence. But, there yeah. was no evidence, yeah. So, I guess if he ever finds the fortune from Gilligan's Island, then maybe we'll all be rich. Who knows? Uh, for those of you under 40, I just wanted to make sure we got the Gilligan's reference in there so you all knew what the hell we were talking about. People under 40 may have no clue what Gilligan's Island even uh, that, is. That was my point, yes. All right, so with that, I think we're going to move to the outro of the show, which means I have to push the outro button. And there it is. How about that? So thanks, everybody, for listening to the show again tonight. This has been episode number 155 of Linux in the Hamshack. Uh, you can become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Hamshack at a nearby to you LinuxCon or HamFest. We also love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter. You can leave us a voicemail at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. You can even contact me on Voxer if you're into Voxer. You can visit our IRC channel hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network. You can also subscribe to our mailing list. Link to that's on the website. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts can be purchased at cafepress.com slash LHS podcast. You can also help, help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the home page. You can listen to us live every other Monday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0100 Zulu. In the summertime, 0200 Zulu, once daylight savings goes away. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website, and please check that out at lhspodcast.info. That's where you can find out everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners, live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you. So from Studio 3D here in southwestern Missouri, I'm Russ, K5TUX. And over there is Cheryl, across from me. Good night, everybody. And there's Pete, V2XBL. Good night. And we will see you all in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.
Kochschnach.